for me, I want to be making the world a better place through the work I'm doing. So the idea of going to work and drilling up oil every day and displacing communities and killing the planet doesn't sound like a fulfilling career. I think doing something where you can see you're having a tangible difference and really helping people is a really nice thing to do. Hello, and welcome to Future Strategies. I'm your host, Florian Schleicher. You want your marketing to achieve goals and sustainable growth? You have come to the right place. In this podcast, I talk with marketing experts and share my own know-how on how to bring your marketing to the next level with a lot of inspiration and learnings, all without the usual hustle. So let's jump right into it. Today, my guest is Anushka Grover, who is the head of marketing at Deliciously Ella. As a purpose-driven marketeer, she's worked at Too Good To Go, fighting food waste, and at Dame, working to reduce the environmental and social impact of period products. She's also a TEDx speaker and was nominated as one of the future 50 best emerging marketeers in 2021. Welcome to Future Strategies, Anushka. Thank you. So let's start with the basics. What is Deliciously Ella? So Deliciously Ella is... Uh... We're on the on track to be the world's largest plant-based food platform. And so the company started with Ella, uh, Ella Mills, our founder, who uh, was facing kind of health struggles um, when she was at uni mm -hmm. and was on lots of medication and decided that she was going to try and see if she could improve her health by changing her diet. Mm -hmm. And so to do that, she went to a largely plant-based whole food diet and found that it really revolutionized her health and she could come off of all the medication. She had really kind of healed herself from what she ate. And so it started with her blog, Deliciously Ella, where she mm -hmm. was kind of sharing the recipes that she was creating. And that has now developed into a food products business. And we have uh, a DTC membership, which is um, an app and website membership, which has recipes, movement, mindfulness, other wellness content as well as all of our products, which are available for DTC shipping. So the business has been going for uh, just over kind of 10, 11 years, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh, also have a restaurant in central London called Plants. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and a podcast. So it's kind of turned into a media business as well as a food mm -hmm. products and content business now. Interesting. And you started as their head of marketing in May 2023. Yeah. What is your role there? What do you do as head of marketing? So <laughs> in my few months I've been here, it's uh, been a very varied journey. So I joined as head of marketing. I uh, kind of run the marketing team as, mm -hmm. as a starter. So that's uh, the kind of content and uh, communications. But I also um, have the customer care team within my team. So that's managing all of the different inboxes and communication channels coming into the business uh, and also an element of product management. So uh, my team's in charge of the app and the maintenance and development of the app, as well as the website uh, and all the e-com and D2C. So it's quite mm -hmm. a varied head of marketing role, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, there's a, a lot of different moving parts to think about every day. Yeah, I can imagine. And you, as I mentioned in the intro, have a track record for working in impact-driven organizations, and you now help spread the word for a better life through plant-based products. What is it about sustainability and impact that fascinates you so much that you keep working in this industry? Yeah, I think that I feel like if you're going to work every day, then you really need to care about what it is that you're doing. 
And I feel like you really, I mean, for me, I want to be making the world a better place through the work I'm doing. So the idea of going to work and drilling up oil every day and displacing communities and killing the planet doesn't Mm. sound like a fulfilling career. I think doing something where you can see you're having a tangible difference and really helping people is a really nice thing to do. And I guess Too Good To Go was my first real impact role. And Mm. I just found it so exciting every day, kind of looking at the numbers and how much CO2 that we were preventing and and getting all the awesome feedback from customers who were really kind of excited about how they were now helping the planet from Mm. eating delicious food. I just thought that's such a great um, feeling. And, And so I'd love to stay in that industry. And then when I found Dame, I kind of hadn't even realized that plastic pollution was such a big problem with period products. Mm. So when I thought about it, you know, a lot of people use plastic applicators, which is absolutely fine. But if you think about every single time you use a tampon, that applicator goes in the bin and it's been used for like five seconds. If you Mm. think about that, like on the scale of all the women in the kind of Western world who use applicators, the amount of plastic pollution is so crazy and I found that with Dame they'd made the world's first reusable tampon applicator and so I was like that's just such a smart idea because you can give one person this one applicator that lasts for 10 years and suddenly they've eradicated a hell of a lot of plastic waste and alongside that I just found it really shocking that the period industry as a whole was so kind of toxic to women so not only the language that was being used around kind of hiding your products and periods Mm. kind of being something dirty that you were trying to hide and that you needed to kind of use different washes to keep yourself Mm. clean none of that's true it's all just like marketing to sell these products which in turn are all filled with bleach and chemicals and the more that I was working there the more passionate I was about how when people were moving to organic products and kind of stopping inserting uh begins with T and ends in X ponds in their uh, vaginas, they were improving the symptoms of their periods as well. So a lot of them would have less irritation, less cramping, less um, Mm. kind of basically less symptoms to do with their period. And I just find the whole thing, if you can help people through the work you're doing, I think that's a really nice thing to be able to do. Yeah, I really like what you're saying in things you go to work for. And at the end of the day, whenever I left the to-go office, I had a good feeling because I knew I participated to a positive change today. And what you now shared relates to that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think being able to leave the day and thinking I've done something good for the world instead of something negative for the world is a really good feeling. Yeah. And then you switched to Deliciously Ella. Can you walk us through why you chose this as your next endeavor and also explain a little bit more Like what's so special about this company, apart from it being not just a food producer, but also a media company, as you said. Yeah. And what really differentiates them? Because there are a lot of vegan options out there. Yeah. So I chose Deliciously Ella because I guess it was an opportunity that kind of came my way. And when I looked into it, it was something kind of new, but kind of not. So obviously with Too Good To Go, I'd been working with a lot of supermarkets and kind of within the food space so I kind of had some experience with food and I feel like diets are one of the leading kind of causes of climate change so I feel like it's a really relevant sustainability kind of um, angle as well as that I found 
because it was such a varied business, I thought it would be really great to kind of pull together previous skills. So they've got an app. So obviously at Too Good To Go, mm. I was working on the app for over four years. So that was kind of great experience to come back to the kind of app and tech side of things. Then at Dame, I'd been leading their D2C and e-com business. So I kind of had that element of it too. Then uh, obviously we've worked with influencers over the year and to kind of be working on the other side of the table was really exciting to kind of be mm-hmm. behind the Instagram with two and a half million followers, I thought would be a really exciting opportunity. And then obviously you've got the cookbooks and all of the content, which is kind of totally new to something I'd done before. So I thought it was a really good experience to bring my expertise in things I've done in the past, but with new things that seemed really interesting to get into. And then as a business, I kind of, I didn't really know a huge amount about them. I kind of knew the blog side of the business, but I didn't really know much about the products business. And I just found it really interesting that Ella's so passionate about kind of making sure that there's no artificial ingredients in any of the products. So Mm. while there's been this big craze towards kind of veganism and plant-based swaps being, you know, fake burgers, fake bacon, fake Mm. kebab meat, fake sausages, et cetera, what Ella and Matt, uh, who's our CEO and her husband, have been really passionate about is not putting any artificial ingredients in. So no mm-hmm. delicious yellow products will have artificial sweeteners or preservatives, emulsifiers, stabilizers, n- none of that, which is what the kind of vegan industry has become really reliant on. And so I think it's a really interesting kind of new frontier in veganism and plant-based eating, which is kind of whole foods again and going back to, you know, we're not about everyone being vegan. It's more about giving people natural plant-based options to pick from so that they're able to pick a delicious, healthy plant-based option when they want to pick it. Um, And so there's Deliciously Yellow, which is the kind of um, master brand. But uh, earlier this year, they um, Deliciously Yellow launched Plants by Deliciously Yellow, which is a sub-brand, which is Mm -hmm. a lot more kind of savory products. So Mm -hmm. that's been really interesting seeing kind of plant-based swaps but our version which is just natural plant-based food in the shelves so we've got kind of coconut yogurt and they're doing incredibly well like top performers uh in the chilled aisles and that's really great to see that people are realizing the problem with all these kind of fake alternatives and going for Mm. more natural products again and i read this recently also in a report on the growth of plant-based food and why it does not deliver on the potential that it seemed to have at the beginning is because the people who are interested in plant-based alternatives, they are also very conscious on eating healthy. And if there are all those preservatives in there, artificial ingredients, then the people shift away from it again. So I think you're in a very interesting spot because you have plant-based products, but without all the shit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's really exciting place, especially with the kind of conf- conversation around ultra processed foods and people's awareness of how processed the foods they eat are. That seems to be something that's kind of bubbling up and we're already in the position where we don't use those products, whereas a lot of people are going to be, a lot of businesses are going to now be panicking, thinking like, how do we get all of the crap out of our products and mm. how can we deliver this product in the same way without all of that in it we've already done that job so while they're all kind of trying to get their ducks in a row and make the products <laughs> something that people are looking for nowadays we've already done it which i think is a really exciting position to be in as a business yeah super interesting 
So let's talk a little bit more about your marketing strategy. Who would you say is your target audience and how do you reach them? Yeah, so we're doing some work at the moment to really drill down and hone in on, on who that is. But on the whole, we aren't trying to go for vegans. We're trying mm -hmm. to introduce plant-based food to everyone. So instead of it being, you know, we're targeting vegetarians or who want to go vegan or something like that, we're, we're not really doing that. We're kind of just trying to target people that are more health conscious and they're aware mm -hmm. of the food that they eat. And so with the packaging that we design, it's very much, you know, we do say plant-based, but we don't have, you know, big vegan signs all over it. And we're trying not to alienate people and not to just appeal to the vegan audience because mm. if they're already vegan, also the contribution that we can, the change we can make to the planet by getting a vegan to eat our food, I don't think is as big as if we can convince someone who's mm. flexitarian to Absolutely. swap their filled pasta for a vegan option. So it's very much kind of not being militant. Um, we've been doing quite a lot of sampling at relevant events. So for example, in the UK, there's a lot of um, kind of like little runs that you can do, like little competitions, mm -hmm. like not marathons, but, you know, 10Ks or half marathons. Mm -hmm. And so we've been sampling a lot of products at events like that and like foodie festivals. So people mm -hmm. that care about food and care about health, I feel like there are kind of easier converters because they're already aware mm. of the benefits of moving to a more whole food plant-based diet yeah. but yeah 2024 we're kind of doing the planning now and I'm sure we'll tweak things as we go but on the whole definitely not trying to be militant and, and single track to vegans yeah and what I really like also about that approach is you're going where your target audience is and of course Instagram and I'd love to chat a little bit more about the account is a very important factor, but it's not just digital because nowadays most of the startups, they are all focused on, okay, let's have an Instagram account, let's have a LinkedIn channel, let's have a newsletter maybe, but they are not that much considering, okay, we could actually go where people already are. And yeah. I think that's a very smart approach you're taking there. Yeah, I guess we are very lucky in that we have a humongous following. I think our following is like almost 5 million across all social channels. So mm. we kind of, in some ways, I mean, we can obviously get bigger and bigger, but you almost feel like you've kind of saturated everyone that wants to listen that are already in your bubble. So mm. I think to be able to kind of grow further than where we are now, it is definitely about finding those people that, you know, may only think of Deliciously Ella still as cookbooks or a blog and mm. showing that we do have an FMCG business and the products fully kind of link back to the ethos of Ella and what she communicates as well. And let's talk a little bit more about Ella now, because her profile seems to be very important in telling your message, also in the storytelling, because it is an inspiring story. And you have, I checked, more than 2.3 million followers on Instagram, and she's very much at the center of that. So yeah. how important is she and her profile for your marketing outreach yeah so i think ella obviously is very integral to deliciously ella so mm -hmm. she i mean when she's uh, in the office every day with us and i'm very much um kind of very key to everything we do all the content um she films with the team pretty much everything that goes onto the instagram um so it is very much her 
we've really found and a lot of this is kind of anecdotal because I haven't been here for like a huge amount of time but um I think we've found that when trying to almost remove Ella or, or make Ella like less of a kind of presence within what we're doing it hasn't performed and I think that's because people really identify with people and people mm. really like people and so when you remove that really constant kind of um like friendly face that you come to know and feel like you have a relationship with I think it has been tricky um for the company to maintain the same level of growth however Mm. I think we're aware that you know who knows what Ella's life will bring you know she's Mm. had two children and gone on maternity leave and stuff so the business also needs to be able to stand on its own two feet without Ella in it every single kind of post so it's something that we're really aware of and I think you can see that I mean I don't know if it's really obvious but there's like a lot more content which is you know more hands which you know Mm. may not always be Ella's hands but it always (laughs) comes from Ella's point of view as a kind of way to try and get around the need to have her kind of face in every every single post um but I think it's very tricky to break away from the fact that it is a kind of founder built business the founder is Ella it's Ella's story it's Ella's Instagram people mm. will often email in to say like hi Ella mm. <laughs> and so I think people really resonate with her being in the business which I think is a really nice thing but obviously can can maybe prove tricky uh, at some point in the future <laughs> yeah definitely I, I think it's a very interesting story this level of involvement by a founder and obviously different from what we experienced at Too to Go because there it was all about the product and the customers and the businesses. So I would be interested also in, because you also mentioned stories and her story, how do you balance performance marketing and storytelling? Because sometimes it seems those are very different approaches. Yeah, well, a lot of our performance marketing, actually, we um, use our organic content. Well, I mean, we've tried lots, but what has performed best has been our organic content, Mm -hmm. which I mean, for example, the recipes, you know, on Instagram, we, we post kind of videos of recipes and Ella talking through, you know, I made this delicious, creamy, green piorzo risotto something and um, Mm -hmm. kind of talking through making it and they perform really well on Instagram as organic content, but they also perform really well for then driving um, membership acquisition, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what we're mainly been focusing on because our website only got replatformed two weeks ago. So Mm -hmm. we weren't really running um, typical e-com ads because Mm -hmm. website functionality wasn't really suitable. Um, So up until now, because the membership is a lifestyle membership, having the kind of more um, organic and storytelling content has worked really well. We've kind of just turned on um, shopping ads. So things that are more kind of uh, the D2C e-com advertising and that we've mainly just focused on the benefits of the products, kind of what we did at Too Good To Go. And that has been working. And Mm -hmm. so it feels like when it comes to the products, they can stand on their own and then kind of selling the products as the products is working but the membership very much is around kind of the story still and getting access to all these delicious recipes that kind of Ella has uh has curated and put together for you yeah so the main goal is then to really drive the memberships and not so much selling the products on an individual basis now that we've just moved to Shopify it's probably going to be a fairly equal weight I um, am 
just come back from a few weeks of holiday. So as I've been gone, the website's kind of finally gone fully live. So I'm kind of going to spend the next week or so analyzing the kind of cross-pollination between mm. the membership offering and the DTC offering and work out, can we can we cross-pollinate and just bring people into the membership, but then upsell them the products? Or actually, is it the other way around? We need to bring people into the products and then upsell the membership. Or is it that we just have, you know, two kind of not separate, but, you know, two streams and we bring people into both because some people are DTC shoppers and some people are interested in the membership and you don't need to do both. But I would expect that a lot of people with the membership, part of the membership is you get 15% off always mm-hmm. on the products. So mm. you would expect that if people have come into the membership, then they're quite keen to shop anyway. Yeah. And so what do you think are like the main challenges in getting people to sign up for the membership? Because yeah, that's a very different business model from what we both experienced before. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting because I think with with the kind of explosion of free content over the last like five to 10 years, I think it is becoming very tricky to convince people to pay for things, especially when you can mm-hmm. Google, you know, like coconut lentil dal, you can Google that and you'll find seven recipes that are all free that you could make this evening. So it is tricky and it's something we kind of talk about all the time, like, What is the reason to believe in paying for this membership and paying for these recipes? I think the thing that we're really focused on is making more than just content part of the membership. So yes, you get access to all of the content. We are always developing the app and the website to make sure that it's as user-friendly as possible. And, you know, it's kind of like having a cookbook at your fingertips rather than having to go into Google and search, you know, plant-based bolognese every time you want to find something. You've got a recipe book in your phone with 20 versions of that that you can use. But then we've also been doing, you know, we've put the 15% always on discount. We've mm-hmm. um, created members-only merch. We've seen that merch is something people are really interested in. Mm-hmm. So we've made some members only merch which you can only get as a member um and then we're going to also be uh, in the next couple of weeks releasing public merch with you know a variety of different colors for example that again are members only so that people feel like they're getting more than just content for the membership mm. the price isn't too much it's 24.99 for the year which is i think it works out like 209 a month it's very fair yeah it's not a huge amount but it is and we give people a, a week's free trial and we find that once people come in for the trial it's incredibly sticky so a lot of people will stay but it's just mm. tipping people into submitting their card details to take that week's free trial and actually experience it so that's something we're always talking about how we can do a bit more of an open browse before the free trial mm. so people can really understand what it is that the membership entails. Um, so there's a lot that we can be kind of testing to see if we can get the needle moving quicker. Yeah. What I really like about this membership is you create your own platform then. So you're not that much dependent on, let's say, an Instagram platform where things could change. But as soon as people are part of your community, you own the connection to them. And this has to be, of course, nurtured. But in the end, you're less dependent on those big players. Yeah, no, 100%. It's a very long-term strategy. Yeah, I think we definitely really see the value in creating and building this membership platform. Because, yeah, as you say, we now have 
a community that are very much in our ecosystem. And yes, the app is something that we develop in-house and it's not something that's kind of platformed. You know, even Shopify is a platform that, you know, could change or or Mm. do things in the future. But we hope that the app is very much um, evergreen and will be a really good kind of hub and base for all of our community for, for a long time. Because, yeah, as you say, you can't always rely on Instagram, you know. Yeah. You see people whose accounts get hacked and overnight they lose their whole following. So if that's what you want to rely on, it's kind of a, a very risky strategy. Yeah. I want to come back to one thing you mentioned before, which was growth. So at the beginning, probably the brand was mostly focused on the UK, but now you're also focused on international markets. So yeah. which markets are you currently operating in? So on D2C, we're UK, EU, and now US. So we launched into the US mm-hmm. kind of a month ago. Um, we've got uh, our USMD who is based over there by herself, and we all <laughs> kind of support from the UK. And so it's been, we've got one retail partner kind of live over there, and then we have the D2C business. So the US is definitely a really key area that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um it's tricky because the US um, retailer that we have is an online retailer and obviously mm-hmm. our D2C is online. So there's one thing there, which is a balance of, you know, how much we push our own online products offering versus how much we push our retail partner to kind of really get them going. Um, but yeah, US is a really key market. And then we also have um, a kind of international lead who is um, kind of been focusing on a lot of extra kind of European countries to begin with um so she's been working on we're doing quite a lot in like Austria Switzerland uh, Netherlands we've done mm-hmm. a little bit of in-market work but I think with a limited size team I mean mm. I was saying like at Too Good To Go we had a team in each market and yes. you know we were still not like pumping out loads of stuff it was quite considered and planned whereas here we're a fairly small team and we're trying to like physically launch in like five markets a month Hmm. at the same time from the UK which um is definitely tricky um and we hope that we can turn on um some key markets like Australia New Zealand um South Africa by early next year for D2C shipping um something that's tricky with international expansion for this business is the food products and food legislation for example Mm. Dame we were shipping period products all over the world and I hadn't really, really thought much about it. We just kind of had a kind of online fulfillment partner and and Mm -hmm. did it. Whereas with food, there's a lot more legislation and, you know, you need Mm -hmm. to send additional information or change your packaging. And and that makes it kind of a higher barrier to growth. I can see that. But it sounds very promising. Like I'm super curious when we talk next time in a couple of months, how far you've expanded the brand and the offering. So before we come to the final three questions, I want to ask you, what role does sustainability play in your marketing strategy? Because you are, as you mentioned, a lot focused on the nutritional value. But do you also play with the aspect of that it's good for the planet also, if they change to a more plant-based diet? Yeah, I think I, since coming in, have been quite keen to talk about sustainability more because I do think what we're doing is a really good thing for the planet and like actually a lot of the products are made in the UK as well so I think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of really great stuff 
I think the company in general has been nervous because obviously there's always something you can do better. Mm. So for example, I know that before I joined, they tried going um, to fully recyclable packaging. And then the kind of adverse effect of that was that the shelf life wasn't as stable. So then the food waste really increased. And actually, we know food waste is more damaging to the planet than, you know, an element of kind of plastic to a wrapper. Mm. Um, So I think as a business, they have felt a bit nervous to talk too much about sustainability in fear of being called out for other things. Mm. I mean, something that I've always said is like, you know, at Too Good To Go, we were always being called out for, you know, (laughs) plastic packaging from restaurants and stuff Mm. like that. And we were quite single track minded in being like, that's not the problem we're trying to fix. The problem we're trying to fix is food waste. There's loads of problems in the world and we're only picking one. So I think there's definitely more we could do on, you know, really just agreeing that the problem we're trying to fix is the kind of carbon emissions of your diet. And, you know, we're not focused on food waste and we're not focused on packaging, although there's actually very minimal food waste because we um, do sampling with any short dated stock, which is obviously really great for me as someone from (laughs) a food waste background to make sure that we don't have that problem. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's something that we should definitely tap into more in the future, but uh, just kind of, I think everyone's a little nervous. I, I think it's it's because whenever a brand is already more on the sustainable side of the spectrum, they face much more scrutiny on the details. Like how many questions are asked to McDonald's, Burger King, yeah. Pizza Hut, when it comes to sustainability? Not a lot. And when there is a company that's doing something good, people are looking much more thoroughly into all the details. So I think that's something that working with sustainable brands, we just need to consider. Yeah, no, I agree. I do think people are so so um, hypocritical. Yeah, with, you know, as soon as someone tries to do something or says they're going to do something, then they try and just find all the flaws with it. Mm-hmm. And I do think such a problem for sustainability because it will be really tricky for other smaller businesses to really focus on it because I'll just think oh we don't want to try and do this because as soon as we tell everyone about it they're going to ask us why we haven't done that so we'd rather just do nothing and stay quiet which is obviously then never going to improve things and that's also no progress if we say okay a company is either good or bad and it's just black and white then we'll lose sight of all the progress that is also made which might not be perfect but we can only reach a more perfect status when we go those steps first. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely, isn't like that very cliche. It's like not about one person doing things perfectly, but about a million people doing things imperfectly. And that's how you can actually get change. Yeah. Let's move on to the final three questions. So first is, what makes good marketing in three words? Uh, Okay, I think creativity, passion, and maybe like hard work. Can I hyphen it and have it as one? <laughs> yeah, works. <laughs> Great. Next question. What is the future of marketing? I definitely think very much sustainability is hopefully going to become such a like, it's going to have to just become such an integral part of everyone's business. And it won't be that, you know, we have these discussions around sustainability as much anymore because every business should just be doing it as standard and it should just be shocking that you know that they aren't doing it you know it should 
I kind of ha- how it is with plastic straws. If you see a plastic straw out and about nowadays, you're very mm. shocked and confused. Whereas literally yeah. like what, two years ago, you wouldn't have been. So I think that sustainability is just going to become a given, which I think is really important. I guess, I don't know. It's really tricky. I think the kind of digital side of things is is so unknown. Like, you know, with X now, like if that's becoming paywalled, is that a whole channel that just kind of vanishes? Like, I feel like the digital landscape is changing so much. I definitely think the future will have a lot of changes. I'm sure that's going to potentially be another um, kind of platform like TikTok. That because I mean, I remember mm. we were in lockdown when TikTok kind of really took off. So that wasn't yeah. that many years ago. So I'm sure there's going to be something else that comes along uh, and takes us all by surprise, and everyone kind of has to suddenly pivot and become something else's. Because you know, I think. I uh, remember it too good to go just before I left. I think we were having debates around like, we really need to be on TikTok and some people in mm. the team weren't that interested and said it was just for kids. And now it's like, mm-hmm. if you're not on TikTok, then like you've really lost a lot of relevancy as a brand. <laughs> yeah, you need to stay open for that. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think you have to remain very open-minded and you know you can't have your personal opinions lead what you think for a business because... Otherwise, I think you can fall behind times very quickly. Yeah. Last question, the personal one. What book have you recently read that you want to recommend here? I'm I'm very dyslexic, so I'm not actually very good <laughs> at reading. So I do a lot of podcasts is my kind mm-hmm. of, uh, my my way of reading. So I, I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts. I really like um, the, the D2C podcast. I can't remember the name. I think mm-hmm. it's like the D2C podcast or something, which is really interesting and they kind of have lots of different business marketing leaders coming in and talking about different elements of, you know, things that they've struggled with or successes. And I find that really interesting listening to other businesses. And then I also, it's it's a bit of a cliche for a girl, but Grace Beverly's Working Hard or Hardly Working, I think it's called. I, I enjoy <laughs> that because I just think it's interesting listening to a lot of kind of mainly female, but also kind of business leaders. Um, I think that's quite inspiring and I think it's so important for women in business to have their voices heard because I feel like they have really great things to say but you know the bias is normally towards men in general (laughs) that's so nice thanks for sharing those it's all right (laughs) thank you very much for coming on the show it was great chatting with you seeing you again and also learning from your approach thank you yeah lovely to chat to you hope to see you soon you too and that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And now I have a question for you. Are you curious how your marketing can achieve sustainable growth? Then I have some simple and exciting options for you. First, this is exactly what I do for my clients. I help them build their future strategy with workshops and sparring sessions. I also have a very simple entry offer for founders and aspiring marketing experts, the Simple and Sustainable Marketing Academy with a ridiculously cheap entry ticket price. Because I love sharing what I've learned. Lastly, if you enjoy reading, check out my newsletter, where I write about marketing, strategies, and sustainability for over a thousand bright and curious minds. You can find all the info in the show notes. And if you have any feedback on this episode, I'd love to hear it. Please give me a rating wherever you listen, if you like it, or reach out to me directly. So until next time on Future Strategies.